I'm trying to do this introduction because uh, you won't hear the first two, but welcome to another episode of Adel Marcy Unplugged with me, of course, Adel Marcy, your host. We're sponsored today by purelyhosting.com forward slash Adel, where you can go ahead and get your domain, your hosting package, and your site all built for a reasonably good price with really good security as well. Um, also sponsored today in the show is FreelanceWriterSecrets.com, and the guy behind Freelance Writer Secrets is one of the top copywriters. It's been around for a really long time, and uh, I'm glad they came on the show because we spoke over the weekend. We've known each other, well, I've known of him for quite some time. Hopefully, the feeling's mutual, and he's kind of seen me around here and there. Um, but yeah, without further ado, let me introduce Trevor Toecracker Crook, and God, I almost called you Cook then. Um, welcome <laughs> on the show, dude. Thanks, Adel. Yeah, no worries. I used to get cook all the time in school, so cook or crook, doesn't matter which one. So how did you get the nickname Toe Cracker? Because this is a thing I wanted to ask you since we got on the show. Yeah, it's an interesting question, one I get uh, a lot. It stems back to actually 2000 when I was still living in Australia and I was uh, providing some business consulting to a major company there and... I mean, I literally, you know, verbally kicked him in the ass and told him what the frig they were doing wrong and how to fix it. Um, you know, the company that I was dealing with had a, a sister company which was raping and pillaging all the, all the cash flow out of effectively the clients I was dealing with. And so they constantly had an overdraft limit of 900000 Australian dollars constantly in the red that had no working capital. And uh, so they couldn't really, you know, it was hard for them to grow. And so after verbally uh, telling them what I thought, I left them with a very, very simple marketing uh, tip, which took about seven seconds to rattle off, which I didn't come up with. I wasn't the originator, but it was very simply. And by the way, increase your prices 10% overnight because 98% of your customers won't bat an eyelid. Because when you increase your prices 10% overnight, that's just pure cream. It doesn't affect your operating expenses. So depending what your turnover is, that goes straight to your bottom line. And so, you know, we'd finished the, what was the agreed consulting period and about a year later, I got this letter from them, testimonial letter, just basically thanking me for pointing out to them their juvenile ways of of running their operation and business and thanks to your toe cracker style um, we're now running cash flow positive to the tune of about three quarters of a million dollars average daily cash at bank nice. so you know we've got a 1.6 million turnaround uh, just in terms of working capital so that was a huge little result well, I mean big result for many people but still uh, that's where the name came from and it was at that time that I was uh, decided to become a copywriter and um, I thought well I can use that pure and simple and you know everyone sort of a lot of people know me now for my, my infamous chromed pointed uh, metal shoes chrome tip metal shoes but the shoes came long after the name and uh, the reputation see I thought you were going to say the chrome head for a second because you know like back then if I remember correctly there was a pink shirt and a palm going on was that was that the thing that was going on back then, or was that earlier? A pink shirt, a pink what? The pink shirt and palm look, or was that yeah. or was that earlier than that? I've had the I've had the pink shirt look. I've grown the hair back. I've worn three D glasses. You name it. But you know, these days it's the it's the Tally Savalas bald headed look. You know, that's that's more me, and um, that's 
that's what you get today. But yeah, no, back then I was still I still had a full crop of hair, mate. Yeah, definitely. See, that's the thing I've said after I finished my male modeling career. I'm kidding. I don't really have one, but I'm just saying after we finish that and we hang out, I'm kind of scared to leave any sort of shares around you and falling asleep around you because I know we're gonna. I'm gonna wake up with a, like a mohawk going on, just moeking straight through. I'm like, oh great. Okay, this is my new look for the next twelve months. Let's go with it. <laughs> I don't mind. I I've done. Could happen. You never know. Uh, I did a mohawk uh, trick once on uh, after uh, back in two thousand and nine. I. I'd grown, the, I'd grown the hair back for a woman. Guys, never never grow your hair or change your hairstyle. For a woman, it'll bite you on the ass. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I took the hair off, but I just left a mohawk and filmed it and put it up on and put it on Facebook. And people honestly thought I had a mohawk, but it only lasted long enough to do the filming, take a photograph, and a few days later, I said, I oh, gotcha. I do that with my. I do that whenever I grow my facial hair out. I just start shaving and then start doing really weird shit to my facial hair. And like, I'm just gonna like take photos of this because it looks hilarious. And then eventually I'll just go back to my regular look. I normally do that with my butt cheek hair, but you know that's not a, that's not a, a picture anyone really wants to see. I was gonna say the fact that you can even do that with an artistic style is a whole, you know, that that's like an accolade in itself. I can, I can make my ass look like the Mona Lisa. How about that one? Exactly. I have no idea. I've never tried. Friggin' hearts. <laughs> but oh god. Yeah, so this is going to be an interesting way of introducing. So we're having the conversation about uh, copywriting stuff, and then all of a sudden, ass crack hair. That's that's always the best way to start a conversation. Um, definitely. But I was going to say, so um, so you've been writing. So how? So you started in two thousand then. Writing copy. I started writing copy uh, in two thousand and one. Uh huh. Um, you know, and for me, you know, it's a complete change from my what was my career. I had 20 years in banking prior to that, Air Force before that, you know. I mean, I had 15 years in paid uh, banking employment and then five years as an independent broker, brokering business deals between the banks. But but the last two years of that, I sort of really um, started to follow something I was passionate about, which was more the marketing side of it, which I'd always been interested in. And then, obviously, I'd read stuff, you know, Dan Kennedy's material, etc. And it's like, you know, he's charging back then, you know, seven and a half to fifteen thousand dollars to write a sales letter. I couldn't even get my head around it back then. But I thought, you know what? I like to write. I'm going to have a crack at this shit, you know. Yeah. And that's where it started. Well, I hear you. I mean, that's like one of the big one of the big things that really worked out for me. Um, I was actually funny because I was listening to Dan Kennedy before I got on this call. It was this uh, high fee consulting. Okay, yeah, yeah. That guy's got some crazy ass ideas. I'm like, really, I need to start implementing some of this stuff to my own uh, business, such as like, you know, instead of getting on the phone call with someone and, you know, speaking to them and then getting to the point where you get the sale, rather just do a, because I, I don't want to do a full 100% charge on like an hour's consultation, because I talk a mile a minute, a uh, mile a second, really. Um, it doesn't, like, I'll give more in that consultation time than I would in the copy, so I can. So what I usually do is a 15-minute call um, to qualify them at the end of the 15 minutes and being asked if I can write for them. I'm like, okay, that makes my life a lot easier. If they go with a 15-minute mark, I just got paid a grand for like an hour. So it's a win-win, yeah. really. Yeah, look, it is, you know, and it's, um, you know, valuing your time and your slash your skills. I mean, you know, one of the things I mentor quite a few writers and, and even business owners that um, are more mentoring these days and sort of less copywriting myself personally. Um, 
but it's teaching them how to position themselves and you know increase their fees and and charge what they're worth being able to put their you know their own brass balls on and get those sort of fees because you know i mean effectively i mean you're the same we charge more than a high class hooker per hour and deliver more value yep. you know um so yeah but mine's you know started back in 2001 and um you know my first ever copywriting client my first ever fee uh shit man they're doing can you hear that that'll be on the recording uh, don't sure. worry about it we'll we'll, we'll edit it out um paid me ten thousand dollars you know it's my first paying client so in 2001 it's like wow you, you know, and um, I sort of hadn't looked back, and I guess that's not normal for most people for the first paid copywriting gig. Nah, um, you know, it's uh, hold on, paid and um, basically it's the my first big gig was the one where I actually ended up doing um, what was it? I ended up getting paid three and a half grand, like pounds, to write a direct response letter for. Um, like this is my first big win. I had like smaller projects. So I got paid like three hundred dollars, like five hundred dollars and three hundred pounds here and there everywhere. You know, just building up a credibility thing. Because yep. when you're eighteen years old, you don't really have that many people lining up to hire you. Um, yeah. Even though at that point, like I started being professional at eighteen, but I started writing when I was twelve. So I had like six years worth of direct response knowledge up to that point. Um, and I'd written, but I didn't know that I was writing. It was like an unconscious thing. Um, but what ended up happening was that's when I wrote this letter for £3,000, uh, £3,500. Uh, £3 and, and it's funny enough because that was actually, if you multiply that by, I think it's 100 Yeah, if you multiply that by 100 that's exactly how much they took in, which was $6 million or £3.5 million after expenses um, and refunds. And my commission check was eighty grand. So it was a good, it was a good fast commission yeah. for like a big amount of money. But I was like, I charged them three and a half thousand. I'm happy three and a half thousand. And that was literally it for a very long ass time. And now it's actually much higher in the region around 15 to 20 grand. I won't write less than that unless, you know, I get equity. And when I say equity, I mean like 25% of what you earn. It's always good. It's always a good way of doing it. But okay, so let's go into positioning because positioning is the hardest thing possible. Um, for a lot of people, and I, I know for me it's a very hard thing. So I'm still trying to figure it out. What's your without giving too much away? Because you know it'll be sucky on Pauline and Ray and all the other people that paid you. What advice would you give? <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry. Okay. The, um, I moved apartments yesterday, like for a few days. I don't know, but I've got to move back, and yeah, I had none of this up until yesterday. Um, <laughs> Positioning, I mean, it, it's interesting because if in terms of a copywriting perspective, right, what I find with the, the protégés that I'm mentoring on positioning, it's, it's mostly their issues are in their head, yeah. right? They feel as though they have to go in low, um, even though they know their work's good and the copy's going to deliver because it's like, well, what if they say no? If, you know, if they're going too high, but yeah, what if they say yes? You know, so like when I when I when I'm positioning somebody from a mentoring perspective, I look at samples of their copy, right? Look at what they've done, work out, get them to tell me what they're charging right now, and then you know look at their like re a recent proposal or two that they've sent out and go well. Judging by your you know your the copy you sent me now, you should have charged a hell of a lot more. Mm -hmm. 
you know, but a lot of it is just, well, you know, they, they feel as though they're still earning their stripes. Yeah. And it, it really doesn't matter um, how old you are. If you've gotten some real proven results for your clients, right, and if you've got even just one or two effectively, you know, home runs, then you can charge a lot more money for it, right? At the same time with positioning, what I'm finding is a lot of the, the ones that I've been speaking to are looking in the wrong areas. They're looking in the areas where there is that cheap arson of the market who doesn't want to pay you for what you're worth, right? And there could be, they could be talking to three, four, five, six other copywriters, right? You don't, it's, it, you don't want to get into a, a bidding war or a quoting war. Yeah. Right? I mean, I've, you know, I got contacted by someone recently who's like, yeah, well, you know, I want to, I want to see samples of your work, um, you know, for the biz up market, the IM market, and, and of your team. Well, you know, I've got about six writers I can call on. And I said, look, there's no way I'm even sending you one example of a copy that's been done. All you need to know is done it, got the results, will happily talk with you on Skype. I'm not sending you anything. Right. So positioning is all about really believing that your copy that you're doing for a client is worth the decent money that you want to charge. Now, as long as you can deliver, right, mm -hmm. then you should be able to get those fees. If you're chasing the wrong part of the market, right, well, then you're never going to get the fees. I mean, if you're, if you're constantly writing, like, you know, sales letters to e-books getting sold for $37, $47, it's going to be hard to get someone, unless they're you know, a big name, have got a massive list to make millions out of that, to pay you any more than a couple of grand. Yeah. You know, they're not going to want to pay you ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 for that plus a royalty or more, or even seven and a half grand, you know? Mm. But you've got to believe in yourself that what you've done, the skills you've got are worth it. Now, I've seen the other side of the coin where, you know, some you know young punks come out of the come out of the woodwork and they're copywriters, but really haven't done anything. But they go, well, you know, hey, Track Rocket charges this, Adele charges that. I think I'm somewhere in you know in between, you know, a newbie and that person, and they have never done anything, and they're not going to get the money. Yeah, I mean, it's really all about the results. The way I, that's the big thing that um, I found out was I'm a huge advocate of actually, not so much in the sense of. You have to prove the results. Like you have to prove them before you actually take them on board. Yeah. Um, and I think one of my friends. I think you know him. Uh, his name is. Oh God, what's his name? I, I know it's a friend of mine actually. His name Jared Lazaro or Lazaro. I can never say his name. I know yeah. the name. Yes. Jared's sir. a really good friend of mine. Was a business partner of mine for a very long time. He came up with uh, this concept, which he likes. To, well, not came up, but he told me this concept, which is. Um, uh, the leapfrog method, which is basically the ability that you close it, you once you've done one good job, you can now use that job to get more because you're not really lying. It's like I've got a hundred percent home. Like you hit a home run on your first try, you're like I've yeah. got a home run. What's your track record? This is my home run. That's yeah. the money. Like I've I've not had a bad client yet, so let's keep going and keep charging more. Like double it because uh, I spoke to Pauline. A year ago, actually, it's kind of interesting. This is how we met because she was asking about pricing, uh, and I told her just increase your fees every single time you take on a job. She goes, 
how do I do that? I don't know if she was mentoring with you at this time. Could have been before or after. But she, she was stuck at $4,000. Yeah. And I just told her, look, have you done a job? Like, how many jobs have you done at 4000 It's like three. I'm like, okay, next one's at five. So, like, she's done I've done three jobs at 4000 each. I was like, great. Knock the next one to 5000 It's like, why? Just do it. See what happens. Okay. They said yes at five. Okay. I increase it steadily. Okay. We'll increase it steadily. So, every three jobs, I don't know if she's still doing this, but every three jobs she upped her ante to, like, buy another $1,000. Which just yeah, um, she's her fees are, are going up. I mean, we stopped mentoring probably uh, end of two thousand and twelve, I guess. But I mean, just on one of her projects, I mean that she would normally have charged around the three thousand dollars for there, and then I said this is at least a ten thousand dollar job, and she ended up getting um, eighty eight hundred. Nice for. Her. Right, big increase, right? But here's the thing: is like whether it's Pauline or, or somebody else, and like in the in the Australian market, there are a lot of the the big fish, so to so to speak, who are nothing more than a big fish in a warm puddle of piss, who don't want to let any new fish in, right? So there's a there's a little bit of an issue. So she, the good thing about Pauline is that she's looking and always has as the world as her stage, and you know, sometimes with people, it takes, and I'm not talking about Pauline specifically, it takes them a few more times of getting those three, four, five thousand dollar jobs. Yeah, I agree. To have the, have the kahunas to put a proposal out for 15,000. Now, but I, you know, I'm mentoring a, another writer in Australia now who's, you know, within the first two weeks. Um, you know, he sent me a message on Facebook. He just goes, you're fucking with my head. He, and he said, a job I normally got X for, I now got Y for. And the Y for was almost double wow. uh, within a couple of weeks. And I just laughed. And, um, you know, he'd sent out a proposal to somebody for, you know, to fill his seminars. And, you know, he had three price ranges which went from around you know, eight thousand to twelve and a half thousand dollars, whereas before he would have been anywhere from three to six. You know, because I'm positioning him, half the battle is the runs on the board, as we, as you said, and and I've said. But the runs on the board's great, but also your actual proposal. And this is what I really find I'm dumbfounded at times with copywriters when I see the proposals they're sending, and it's no wonder they're getting rejected. Or it's no wonder they're not getting the fees they're actually worth because they're not sending a proposal through as like a bloody sales letter. Mm. You know? It's still got to hit all the key triggers. Even if you had the conversation with somebody, it's still got to hit all the key triggers, have the benefits, have the proof, i.e. the testimonials, and the takeaway sell. You know? Mm. Okay, see, that's, I'm mm. glad that you actually said that because um, that was something I was going to ask, actually, was if it wouldn't be too much to ask what your actual stru structure for that is because um, everyone's got a different proposal structure. Yes. Yeah. Mine is vastly different to that. So that's what I was wondering. Yeah, no, I mean, mine's like a, it's a bloody sales letter, effectively. Mm -hmm. You know? And, um, I mean, I had one I used for, for many years where I had, it was just like a generic generic proposal document, basically a sales letter, um, and 
Is it, and, I, and I could use that for mentoring slash consulting or copywriting jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And I would then just do like the cover letter and refer, you know, spell out um, what they were going to get, what the fees were, apples to oranges comparisons, bang, here's the price, you know, um, is the is the offer, take it by this date or leave it basically. And um, one thing I learned, uh, you know, again, I mean, I've studied initially a lot of Dan Kennedy's material because I bought the Australasian rights to sell his products back in 2001. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that cost me $25,000 back then. And um, safe to say I recouped the investment and had that paid off in the first 30 days. Um, but, you know, I learned very early on and I, and I put this in all my proposals, that I'm sending you a proposal, not a negotiation. Very clear on that. You know, so if someone comes back and says, well, I want to pay you in thirds, or no, no, this is the deal. You know, but it still has to be effectively a sales letter proposal. Mm-hmm. You know, because even if I've done business with for that particular client before, I still, it's all in there. And if I've had new testimonies, I include those as well. That's really good. That's very okay. That helps the positioning big time. What I that's what I found anyway. You know, I, mean, I know for me, if I send a proposal to for copywriting, um, you know, unless it's just way outside of their budget, and, and they don't want to use one of my proteges for a lower amount, you know, I seriously would close minimum eight out of ten, probably nine. You know. Based on we have a Skype call, like, and then I do the proposal, bang. You know, sometimes there is, you know, whilst I said it's not a negotiation, sometimes there isn't a negotiation to adjust something or leave something out. Because I never ask a client what their budget is, ever. Hmm. Okay. okay. Not, not interested. Right? Not interested because, um, okay, let's say I say their budget's $5,000. Let's say they tell it to me on a call, mm-hmm. right, on a Skype call or a phone call. Well, then I'm going to say straight away, well, look, clearly it's not for me. However, I've got protégés that I can I can uh, outsource the work to. Yep. I still oversee it. I fine-tune it. it. It refers back on my name, my reputation, my guarantee. The reason I don't usually ask the budget is this, is I listen to, obviously, the prospect. I listen to what they tell me they think they need. And then I work out what they do need, and, and many times that's two two different things. Mm-hmm. So I just do the proposal based on that and what my fees are, right? And then if they come back and, and they're pretty much on the hook, because they're, they're pretty much there, except you know they really only have a budget of ten thousand dollars, for example, right? Well, then I can determine whether I'm going to do it, whether I'm going to outsource it, or you know which way it's going to go, or what do we leave out. You know, okay, okay, well, then I definitely want a royalty deal. You know, because royalty deals aren't that easy to get, as you yeah. know. You know, um, So, yeah, I've always done it that way, and it seems to work for me. It's good to know. That's really good to know because, yeah. like, you know, everyone has their own thing, and that's just a huge drop right there. 
So kind of walking out of the realms of copywriting, because uh, this is actually probably one of the most focused podcasts I've actually had on a subject, because usually we just have a laugh and you know, everything goes everywhere. Let's go to something that's more interesting in the sense that you act, well, not more interesting, but interesting to me. You went traveling around the world uh, not too long ago, because I remember seeing you in Europe and then in America, then in Puerto Rico, and then just everywhere. Literally, it was on a week, it was on a, on a monthly basis. I saw you in a different part of the world. So, like, yeah. what was the drive motivation behind that, and what did you learn from that? Like, what was like some of the things that you picked up? Well, I'm still doing it. Uh, ten year, well, almost ten years later, um, I'm still, you know, living, you know, the international lifestyle. You know, it's um, what sort of started that was back in 2005. I was still living in Australia and just gone through the the second uh, second divorce, or was going through the second divorce. And just turned 40, and I was getting asked to speak at a lot of events in the U.S., uh, you know, Stephen Pierce's events and other other events, and also in London. So I'd done 10 trips to America on the east coast of the U.S., uh, mostly, and three trips to London to speak at events. And so I was like constantly felt like I constantly on a plane or jet lag in between. But that really um, just refueled my my travel bug, passion, whichever whichever way you want to say it. And so I decided to just leave Australia, and that was around April, May 2006. Moved to Hollywood, then to Vegas, then you know started to travel. I've lived in Italy a few times, um, Canada three times. Uh, Costa Rica. So normally now I split my year, my two home bases are Malta in the Mediterranean, which has been the home base now for close to five years, and uh, and then Costa Rica. In between I travel because this lifestyle being a freelance writer, as long as you have a good internet connection, you can live anywhere. So that's what I've done. And over the last three years, I mean, my main passion is photography. So, I, you know, I get to live life in different parts of the world, meet freaking amazing people from all, all sort of cultures and try new cuisines and get to, to shoot shit in terms of with a camera, you know, and um, just live a lifestyle that I actually enjoy. Yeah. At the end of the day, it is about enjoying what you do. Yeah, I mean, you know, the last few years, to, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I've literally just pulled right back. You know, it's been more about lifestyle than, than working uh, too hard at all. Um, you know, when I mentor people, it is high-end, so you don't need too many mentoring clients to, to live a good lifestyle and, you know, fund what I do. I've been fortunate enough to go to the Grammy Awards and, um, you know, Back in 2011, that was a really cool experience, and just the being able to travel, at, you know, sort of when you want to, um, which is what copywriting's obviously given. And I mean, I, I like a good party, which I think you know, yeah. and um, you know, I'm always partying somewhere. Um, you know, if I go back to Costa Rica in April, like planned, I mean, it's just party seven nights a mm -hmm. week. You know, I mean, and I'm not getting any younger. I'll be bloody 50 in March, but I'm usually the last bastard standing in the bar, you know, and then taking home the younger chicks, which I love, you know. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it's just been a good experience apart from, you know, the, the cuisines and the, the cultures and in terms of landscapes. It's the people. 
I mean, I've met so many cool people in various parts of the world from different cultures who are, you know, genuine friends that it's just, and I've gone and stayed with many that have come and stayed with me. Hmm. You know, and I met, I met a pilot guy um, at a self-development course I was doing a few years ago in the U.S. He's a pilot for American Airlines. He used to fly the president of the U.S. around before that. He used to, he used to uh, escort Air Force One. And he's like, hey, do you ever want a buddy pass? Yeah, sure. So generally, I get to fly first class, for example, between London and, and Costa Rica for around 300 bucks. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> I've got to get that hookup off of you at some point. Sorry? I've got to get that hookup from you, that connection from you at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, well, it's, it's, it's a little bit closed now. I used to have at one point when I was really, you know, when you said, you know, like I was just jetting everywhere. He gets 24 passes a year. In 2012, I'd blocked 18 of those for me. Wow. And uh, if anybody, anyone, anyone needed one, I literally had to give the okay because he'd given me the commitment. And I'd slip him a few, you know, I'd slip him an extra 100, 150 bucks so he could take his wife to dinner every time I booked, right? <laughs> but that was a pretty cool deal. But again, it's all coming from people I've met. Yeah. You know, I mean, just recently, for example, and just the last year i mean a friend of mine who i met in malta she's retired she came to see me in costa rica i had friends from america who came to see me in costa rica then i left um i went to poland to a friend's wedding who i'd met in malta and then i went to ireland to stay with friends who i'd met in costa rica at christmas the year before um you know i've met i met new people when i went back to italy who i've seen since and then what did i do uh, uh, a guy I met in Costa Rica last year from Sweden, I went and stayed at his place in December for a week while he was there and then looked after his apartment for a couple of weeks while he went back to Costa Rica. And then I'm now in Poland with people, uh, well, I initially came and stayed with them in their house, who I met through mutual friends when they came to Malta last year and I stayed at my place because I had a spare room. So it's just like, this is why the lifestyle is so great. Oh, I agree. You know, it's, the, the people really make it, right? And where I am here now, I mean, I'm in, right in the old town and I just met, I've been like in this, like haven't had an apartment for the last two weeks. And I just met so many of the locals that sort of take you in. You know, I get local, I get student prices on booze. I mean, how cool <laughs> is that? Not that I can't afford a full pint, but... You know, when I can get a, a pint of beer for about a buck fifty, I'm pretty bloody happy with that, you know. <laughs> I'm pissed on 15 bucks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good way to be. I mean, what's interesting, though, is the fact that um, one of my friends that we have a podcast with him, it would be like, I think, an episode before this one. Um, I don't know if your friends can reach out to him. His name is Dayan, D-A-I-Y-A-N. Guy's amazing um, at what he does. Another really cool, like, uh, smart, up-and-coming kid. He's like he's three years younger than me. I'm 25. I think he's 22 or 23. But sharp as a tack, and right now he's traveling around the world. And that was that's funny you should say that because his first advice when I asked him what would you, what advice would you give someone, he said simply if you're traveling, make friends everywhere, because yeah. you would be surprised how many like good relationships come out of them. Yeah, it, it's it's very true, you know, and it's uh, and it's from all walks of life and different ages. You know, like it's just um, like when I first went to Costa Rica, I mean, I knew one person because a, a mate of mine from Canada, uh, Corey, Corey Scott, I'm not sure if you know that name, but I mean, I met him at an event. Uh, I spoke at an event at Disney World in 2009 of Ken MacArthur's 
He was attending his first ever event. We became friends. He saw my post that I, of the apartment review when I first went to Malta. And he's gone, hey, I was thinking of going to Mexico, but maybe I'll come and rent a room for me for six months. And so he did that. And then obviously we've been friends ever since. And um, it was at the end of 2012. He's going, look, I want to head to Costa Rica. I've heard good things about it. I had a friend who was just there. Do you want to rent an apartment? You know, share an apartment, split the cost. I go, yeah, why not? So I was like, jumped on a plane, like gave notice literally within, I, I, I'm denied about it, but then when I made the decision, within five days I was in Costa Rica, right? And so apart from knowing him, I didn't know anybody. Um, by the time I left six months later, my nickname in that town is called as the Godfather, <laughs> which started as a joke, right? But pretty much every man and his dog, it's a small village of 800 people that actually live there, rest as tourists, know each other, right? Um, when I went back after being away for, how long was I away for? Six months, at least, mm -hmm. yeah, six months. I wasn't even out of the taxi pulling back through the town and people knew I was back. And within an hour, 20 people I'd bumped into. You know, so it's just, it all comes back. You've got to have some, some people skills, but just being yourself and, and talking to people and, and, you know, I just met some amazing connections. You know, I bumped into a guy in a bar one night from Canada and, um, you know, a really nice guy down there for surfing and he's like, yeah, well, you know, what do you do type of thing and told him what I do and he says, I'm a, I'm a dairy farmer now in Australia. Dairy farmers aren't terribly rich, right? Mm -hmm. Um, this this guy did $40 million gross turnover the year before, <laughs> you know, yeah, the largest, largest, largest dairy farmer in, um, in, his, uh, in Canada, actually. And um, so we got chatting and he says, yeah, I've got an apartment in such and such a complex, I won't say where it is. And um, I go, yeah, it's, a, it's like a five-star resort, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, over the busy time of year, which is now, you'll get two and a half, three thousand dollars $3,000 a week for that apartment. Um, I end up negotiating with him in the low season to get that same massive three king-size bedroom, three bathroom, crack and water ocean views for a thousand bucks a month. Wow. You know, now if I hadn't met the guy and just been myself, we had beers, we play volleyball together of an afternoon on the beach, that would never have happened. You know, so it's some of these connections like that guy um, the pilot guy. And it's not about getting things for cheap. It's just like you become friends with people. Yeah, I mean, it's all about... You go, well, it's going to be the quiet time. Um, he goes, yeah, well, my fees, my HOA fee for the month are 800 plus internet and the mate each week for four hours. Yeah, they sent the mate in every week for four hours. We cleaned the apartment top and bottom, What did all my washing, hung it up, changed the sheets and left, you know. And, you know, that wouldn't have been possible without just... Having a meeting the guy in the bar and having a beer. Oh yeah, I agree. It's kind of like interesting to me. Like so many different things happen just because you're friends. I mean, um, yeah. for instance, you and I having this podcast. I would have not been able to do this if you know you we, we hadn't reconnected over that Facebook post I made. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just reconnection. It's like, oh yeah, fuck, we were supposed to talk a while ago and we didn't because we were in two different parts of the world at the time. Let's talk again. Yay! Um, but it's all about genuinely giving a damn. I mean, that's the big thing I'm going to tell people right now on this podcast 
it's about genuinely giving a damn because uh, when I lived, because uh, I'm now living in London, but I, I'm originally from Leicester, then I moved to Plymouth, and now I'm in London. So if you're in London, we've got to catch up, obviously. That's going to happen. Um, my In Leicester, there was a, there's only two Starbucks shops in like the central of that town. It's like 360,000 people. Not a huge city, but pretty big for the UK standard. Um and I used to go to this one Starbucks, and my friends were astounded that I'd constantly get given free food and free drinks, like, every time. And um, they asked me, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? I was like, well, look at what I do when I go speak to them. They're like, okay. Walk up to them. Hi, how are you? They're like, you're not saying anything different. I'm like, yeah, but I'm actually genuinely asking. And people can tell when you genuinely want to be friends with them. And at that point, that's when relationships get built, and things become easier. Yeah, look, you're spot on with that. It's, you know, you say given a damn, I'd say given a, you know, given an F, but it's, it's the same thing. And, and that's, you know, I think people get amazed at, they look at my lifestyle. See, my lifestyle for me is normal, right? But I understand it's not normal. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, you know, I've been invited to go watch the Super Bowl at the Playboy Mansion, attend the Halloween party there, you name it stuff like that, right? All through connections, generally just meeting somebody and taking a genuine interest. It's not about, you know, what you can get from them. When you're a giving type of person, which obviously you are as well, and you are, you show a genuine interest in people, they reciprocate, you know? Become friends, easy, you know? And um, I mean, I, one of the things, what's been the, probably the most interesting thing for me in my travels over the last, well, you know, nine, ten years, was I was in Rome um, the first time in um, mid-2011, and I was there with my, my then-girlfriend from America, and there was a, a, an older lady, you know, late 50s, probably early 60s, somewhere around there, sitting there having a glass of wine by herself from Canada, and yeah, we got chatting, and she was saying that she just lost a partner of nine years, and she's, you know, having a holiday and then going to do a cruise in the Mediterranean and she had 10 days spare after she got back before she flew back to Canada. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Malta and stuff and uh, she goes, oh, I've never seen you know, I'd love to go. And um, I said, well, would you like to go? I said, because my apartment is vacant, my driver in Malta has, has my spare set of keys all I have to do is send him an email. He'll pick you up at the airport, take you to the apartment. There's wine in the wine rack. There's food. I mean, you know, obviously not perishables, but help yourself. I'll hook you up with my friends. We have my favorite, my favorite cafe around the corner. They'll look after you. Now, this is a woman I met on the street, literally, in Rome, you know, an hour before. Yeah. And... It was like, because whenever I was traveling, I always left the keys with Mario because in case someone happened to be heading to Malta and I wasn't there, he could let them in. And uh, and she went and did it, and she had a great time. It's just like, you know, for me, that was a cool experience. One of the things I'll always remember as being very, very enjoyable because all she had to do was pay for an airfare. She didn't have to pay for accommodation, which would have been expensive. You know, it was right on the water in the Mediterranean. Um, but it was just from conversation and someone being genuine at the same time. It's like, you know what? I'm not going to be there. I was heading to America with the girlfriend for three months. Mm. You know, And this is you know, part of the things about the, the lifestyle. I mean, 
I, in the last 18 months, I put up a Facebook page called, you know, facebook.com, you know, forward slash the international lifestyle because people are generally interested and there's so many people want this type of lifestyle. So I'm slowly building up effectively a profile around that and uh, I've got a huge, quite a huge following on Instagram now and ultimately, you know, that's, you know, my goal is to get as many people have a genuine interest in wanting to travel and become writers to be able to live a similar lifestyle based on obviously doing a writing course yeah. and some guidance. You know? Always the best way to be. I mean, personally, that's something I've, I've been doing more and more. So since I moved to London, because I'm still waiting for my passport to get back, once that's back, uh, my whole goal is, because uh, I live in, um, I'm guessing you know London pretty well. Reasonably well, right, yeah. I live in Soho. Okay, to give you an yeah. example of how central I live. So this place I found out was worth like 150, 150 pounds a night, which is around like $250 a, a night. Half my friends, when they're across like uh, in Plymouth, because I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and we have competitions in London, if any of them are competing in London at the same time I'm away, I'm like, guys, just pick up my spare keys. Like, yeah. why? I was like, I don't need them. Why? Because my spare keys, I have three pairs of keys. One to my friend Patrick that always has them just in case we have the incident where I lock myself out the bedroom, uh, out the apartment again. I locked oh. myself out of the apartment at the start of the year in just my boxes. <laughs> yeah, and no phone either. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've done something yeah. similar. <laughs> January 3rd, I think it was the first Saturday of January I did this. It was like straight away. I was like, oh, God damn it, really? Okay. It's better than locking yourself out of your hotel room naked at the hard rock on your birthday a few years ago like I okay, did. you got to tell me the story of that. Come on. Keep going. <laughs> I'll tell you. You keep going with it. I'll tell you All the story. Right. But anyway, um, so because of that, it's literally about letting people just stay. And it's surprising to people when you're that, not so much comfortable, but when you're that open with them where you're like, no, no, just go ahead, stay there. Why? You've only known me an hour. What if I do this? Ah, I trust you. You know? Yeah. Just It's like, like if... Like in my case, there would have been some guy, some younger guy didn't know. I was like, yeah, I could trust a joint. You just don't know, right? It's like you, you get a gut feel for somebody. It's like, I'm not there. I'm paying their own anyway. You may as well use it. Take advantage of yeah. it. I mean, if anything, if you, you know, use an Airbnb on it and someone can actually stay here that, you know, if you've got no friends coming over, you've got no one using it, you can put it out to rent for a couple of days while you're away and make some money. Oh, Airbnb is huge. I mean, I when I was uh, had my apartment in Malta before I... Um, left for a while at uh, mid-November. I mean, I had people constantly from Airbnb from the beginning of May until the end of October. Wow. Constantly. Uh, I listed on a Sunday night, I had my first booking Monday morning and I just never stopped and I turned so many people away and I had two spare rooms. Um, but, you know, and that's a great way for meeting people as well. Yeah. It really is. I mean, like one of the big assets that I really want to look at getting over the next three years is actually buying the place I'm living in because I don't want yeah. to give this place away because it's just such a beautiful apart. It's literally an amazing central location. It's just really beautiful the way it is. Um, so the one thing I really want to do is just go ahead and keep it uh, just for myself so I can actually go ahead and have everything as is. Um, but also rent it out because, A, it's a really nice place to have a video studio for like the day and do all your work. But it's really, really nice as well just to have someone come here and just stay here in case they need to. Yeah. Just, and it's a moneymaker as well, so might as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, I know every time, whenever I usually do a visa run from the Schengen, 
because you know every three months I've got to leave the Schengen area and I usually head to London. It's bloody expensive, you know. I mean, it's just yeah. you know a, a room on Airbnb that's not flash but comfortable and clean is you know. But if you got no problems with forty-five, fifty pounds a night, you know. I was going to say if you got no problems with cats and stuff, crash at my place next time you're here. Sounds good, mate. I'll actually probably be there in a couple of weeks, so uh, I might take you up on that. We could uh, definitely have some fun. Yeah, cats is fine by me. That's cool. Well, I was going to say, don't worry about it. I've got an airbed underneath the... Uh, my friend left me a massive airbed. We've not really used it, but feel free, man. Just blow. Yeah, no, I'll take you up on that offer, mate, and, and vice versa if you're ever in my part, whichever part of the world. I'll yeah, I'll let you know for sure. Yeah, because I've just... Oh, I haven't... I'm not, I haven't signed the lease yet, but I, I found a place back in my old complex in Costa Rica that, you know, I'll probably take for four to six months. And, and um, yeah, I usually get a place that's got at least one spare bedroom just for guests, you know. I mean, this one's just a one bedroom anyway, annoyingly, but it's it's a nice place to live, so. Oh, cool, man. No, that'd be yeah, great. Definitely. Plus, I think you'd love the TV and um, the uh, the sound system. Hold on, I'm just going to go on camera real quick. I'll show you this. It's really good for sports events. Hold on. Let me know if you can see this. Uh, yes, yeah, I can see yeah, that. That's really good for sports events, especially when you like really want to turn it up. Uh, I forget if you're a UFC fan as well or not. I watch it, um, but I'm not. I don't follow it religiously, but I do like to watch it. Yeah, yeah. imagine watching a good fight on that with like four home surrounds. So it's, it's a really good night in um, and a good night out because the fights are usually three o'clock in the morning, so you can go out, have a good laugh, come back, watch the fights, and go to sleep. Good night. Um, all right, cool. so dude, I'm gonna get you to do this. Well, two things. One, I want to find out the rest of the story of how you got locked out. You, how you got locked out of Hard Rock, uh, completely naked. That's one. And two, just three very quick tips that you can give to someone that's kind of struggling with charging more and understanding how they can get more clients. Like, what three things would you tell them to do? Okay, I'll do the three tips first, right? If you're struggling to get clients, right? A, get clients, B, to charge something half decent. What I always instruct my protégés or someone that's new and I'm doing a, the mentoring session as part of the package, right, mm -hmm. is that when you're starting off, be prepared to do a few jobs, right, small jobs like rewrite some newspaper adverts or something like that, right, or write some email copy where you can get quick results for a client even if you do it for free or based on pay me later based on results because in terms of like you know a lot of people are so stuck on just doing online advertising when there's a lot, there's a lot of money to be made offline as well yeah. if you can rewrite someone's newspaper ad and you triple their calls quadruple their calls or even you know 800 percent increase in response and then conversions they're going to give you a real glowing testimonial yeah. Right? And it's a home run. This is the proof element you need. Hey, my old ad sucked. You know, I hired you know Joe Blow, and my my leads increased three hundred and fifty two percent in the first week. You know, that's powerful. Right? It doesn't take you long to bang rewrite someone's sucky ad, which has generally got the bullshit logo up the top and their business name, and they think they're branding like McDonald's without the budget. You know, most business owners should brand their ass with a branding iron, stupid, right? <laughs> and so that's one tip, you know, you can do something like that, which doesn't, you're not writing a long form sales letter on spec, right? Look at doing some smaller jobs like that. 
to get some proof, some results. Awesome. Uh, um, you can also, you know, I mean, I, I know of people who go on to, you know, Rent-A-Code or any Lance and get, get small jobs, you know, to get started. Uh, and that's fine, if, but if you're smart enough, you can then actually get them effectively away from there and charge the bigger fees. Uh, but ultimately, you know, when you're starting off, you need to do whatever it takes to get some results. Because once you do that, you can start to charge more, right? And generally, you know, you can start to get word of mouth. I mean, I haven't actually advertised for copywriting. I haven't run, never run adverts for copywriting projects. That's interesting. Right. Neither did I. Neither did I until you saw that Facebook post. But that wasn't really an ad. It was just more or less I put something at the bottom. Yeah. Well, my, mine was twofold. I mean, the, the very first job that I did, he pulled five hundred and fifty-eight thousand dollars the first time he used it in two nights. Right. Um, and he still uses that letter today. I wrote other projects for him as well. But what I found was that the big thing for me was. I was, because I had the rights to Kennedy's products, I was selling effectively a box of, you know, advertising and marketing material to business owners for $1,000, right? $1,000 Aussie dollars, US, it was in the UK, it would be 1,000 pound. And then I was getting copywriting projects from that. Nice. Because the, the business owners going, yeah, this is all good information, but I don't have the time to do that. I don't want to do it. How much of the charge? Okay, bang. You know? And I was picking up the big fees, you know, and, you know, I mean, upfront fees too. Like, yeah, it's, it's $10,000 upfront first time client, right? Mm -hmm. Not 50%, you know, upfront. So, you know, you've got to do, you've got to lay the foundation. And what I'm finding is most of the new brigade of copywriters, particularly the ones that just focus on that, you know, biz up crowd. Too eager to charge too much money without any runs on the board. Got to do a little bit of foundation work. Get get some results either way you can, so that someone gives you a glowing testimonial based on specifics, not general generalities. Yeah. That's what was right. thing to have. Then and then you know that's effectively one slash two tips. But then make sure the proposals that you send really showcase what you can do for your prospect. So they say yes. And it's got to have a, it's got to be done like a sales letter. Effectively, it's selling all the reasons why they should hire you at your price. And then deliver. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's um, that's really what it comes down to. Um, you know, I've I've I'm sure you've you've come across this too, where people write for other people. You know, they become someone's sort of in-house writer or whatever um, to get start to get the runs and the proof, and that's good to get yourself going. But don't look at that as long term. Sooner or later, you've got to cut the umbilical cord to those people because they're screwing you on fees anyway. Yep. Right? It's like a freaking uh, Chinese sweatshop, right? Of copywriters, but you can do it to hone your skills, fine tune, right? Another thing that I that I think is is really missing with a lot of the the newer brigade, whether they're young copywriters or old, but I say the newer brigade, is that because the majority of them have, have decided to become writers in the the internet era, they don't do enough study and research of the rare advertising, mm -hmm. the old yep. stuff, 
right? And if only they would do that and fine tune their skills. When I first started copywriting, um, and I can't even think who it was, whether it was whether it was Gary Halbert or or Kennedy or even Ted Nicholas, because they were the main three, you know, that that I sort of studied from. You know, what most people don't know about me is Gary Halbert was my 36th ever subscriber when I went online in uh, 2004. And um, Ted Nicholas and I ended up doing a, a live three and a half day workshop together in York in 2007. And I, if I'd sort of thought that was even possible between those two things when I first started in 2001, I just want to tell people I'm full of crap, you know. But, you know, I studied from the old guys and, and one of the things one of them said was, you know, take a letter you like, even if it's, say, a, say a two-page sales letter and start writing it out by hand and you want to get to the point where you're writing it from memory. Writing it out by hand is great. Any sales letter, that's an old school technique. But one still which most new copywriters are too lazy to do. I mean, I've had some of my writers write out a 45, 50 page sales letter that I'd written and then send it to me, you know, and that did a lot for their skills. But the hard thing is to say, take a two page letter and you start to write it and get it to the point where you write it from memory. Uh, if you make a mistake, you've got to go back and start again. Yeah. Now, I tried that and I'll be honest, I didn't quite get there. I, <laughs> I gave up after almost getting to the end. But effectively, if I got to the PS and screwed the first word up knowing it was wrong, I'm supposed to go back and start again, but I got enough value out of doing that exercise, like being in school. You know, I must not, I must not call the teacher an old bitch a hundred times. You know, you know what you got to write. You just got to keep writing it, and this is no different. And if most new copywriters just do those things, get some rare advertising, right? Um, Robert Collier letter book, you know, things like tested sentences. Most people don't even know tested sentences, you know, they know Elmer Wheeler, you heard it, you know Elmer Wheeler, yep. right? Okay, um, but they've never even read tested sentences itself, even though it was tested on 19 million people and they tested 105,000 words and phrases over 10 years. It's an extremely valuable advertising, writing, marketing tool for any copywriter who's serious, along with other classics. So study the classics, yeah, the language is peculiar, but guess what? That shit worked back then, and it'll still work today. I mean, I've modelled the Robert Collier sales letter for you know the damaged dock run letter mm -hmm. for a digital product. You know, it worked. It's all there was no there was no coffee spilt on it. You know, there was no damage done from the you know the dog doing whatever. No, I used I used the angle of the damage the damaged stock angle to have a sale of an old tele seminar series I did on copywriting back in 2005 because there was some, you know, like on this, there was some background noise and, you know, on there. So I used that as the, the damage stock angle to have a sale. And, um, you know, it worked, it sold. You know, the brain hasn't really changed in a hundred odd years, just technology has. Okay, that, that, that's, those are the tips that I would, that I would, um, Give and also don't think because you've had a few home runs that you bloody know it all. You know, my, my main mentor, which is Ted Nicholas, you know, a guy with eight over eight billion dollars in proven sales. You know, that's a pretty extensive track record as a copywriter. Yep. You know, at his age and his age, real age is a secret, but let's say he's, he's, close, he's, he's well past mid 70s. 
Oh yeah, he's old, is old that, school. Like he's yeah, yeah, I know how old he is. You should always forever be a student. Yeah. You know, of your craft. Teddy's one of my favorite yeah. guys to study that a lot of people don't know about. I, I try and keep him quiet on that because uh well, he's he's amazing. But hey, anyway, uh Trevor, I'd love to like catch up a little bit longer, man, but I've got to shoot in a few minutes and uh no, that's okay. I'll speak to you real soon. Thank you for doing this. Guys, check out uh Trevor's site which is freelance writers writersecrets.com freelancewritersecrets.com link is below this I'm Adeline Marcy this is Trevor uh, Trevor Toecracker Crook um, signing off and Trevor thanks for being here man really appreciate it thanks Adel. it was a pleasure I'll have to uh, I'll have to tell you on the private about the, the naked uh, incident on my birthday at the hard rock definitely <laughs>